What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I am Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. It is the end of the week. It's the middle of an important Phillies road trip. And Anthony and I, I think, are coming into today's podcast with differing views about what transpired in Atlanta. I personally think it's the same old story for the Phillies. Anthony, however, is ready to hand out trophies after a four-game split, so let's let's jump right into it. Anthony, I'm just kidding, of course, but I have to tell you, we talked a little bit back and forth last night in text messages, and you had said it right. If you looked at this series at the beginning of the week and you said the Phillies are going to go down to Atlanta and split, you'd probably sign up for that, and I guess that's true. The only problem is I watched all the games, mm-hmm. and I'm not happy. So let's get into this. No, and let me and let me say it that way, Bob, because I, I I don't think we're that far apart. I think that we're we're kind of along the same wavelength in the sense that you looked at this series and went, man, they could have swept Atlanta. Like they could have. I mean, they just they really could have swept the Braves. Uh, at least three out of four, obviously. Um, so yeah, you're frustrated that those games that went the wrong way didn't go the right way, and we can talk. We're going to talk about them individually because there's. There's a lot to unpack with those games. But we did say at the beginning of the week when we recorded the last episode that, hey, you come out of this week, uh, split in Atlanta, win two and three in New York, and you're feeling pretty good about it. So you can't you can't go back on that, right? I mean, you can't go back on you know the long view. And, and the long view of things has been, if you go back even further, when we said, look at this month of May and how difficult it's going to be going into the beginning of June. You know, there's going to be like this 30-game stretch, and, you know, let's see where they're at after that because then the schedule lightens up. Well, as of right now, they're a game over 500 in that stretch with uh, 6, 9, 12 games to go in it. So, so, so far, so good in a way. We were saying, hey, you go 500 in this stretch, that's, that's a good record to have. So, we, again, taking the long view, I'm not handing out trophies, but I'm saying they're, they're – they're whole, they're treading water. They're doing what they have to do because it's going to get it's it should get better down the road. Now, of course, that could always go awry. You know, so many things could go wrong. We've seen it in the past, and this is why I think you feel the way you feel because it's like no matter what, they're going to invent new ways to lose games, and they're just inventing new ways to lose games to good teams right now. Just wait till they invent new ways to lose games to bad teams, and then we'll get really pissed off. Yeah, so now if you listen to our first show this week, I think that we actually came across fairly positive on the heels of a 2-4 and four home stand against the Padres and Dodgers. And just to sort of reiterate some of those points that we discussed, I mean, listen, big picture here, starting pitchings look pretty good. I do have a little bit of a concern about Ranger Suarez that's starting to slowly creep up. But overall, you know, hey, I actually tweeted this morning, of the NL pitchers with 30 innings logged this season, the Phillies have four starters in the top 20 in terms of war per fan graphs. You have Zach Wheeler, number two, Aaron Nolan, number eight, Kyle Gibson, I believe, comes in at 16, and Zach Eflin at 20. And Eflin would probably be a little bit higher if he simply had more innings pitched. So you look at the rotation, you feel really good about it. You look at some hitters here with a track record that haven't really performed all that well yet, and you kind of expect them to all get going, and you feel pretty good about it. You have to turn a blind eye to the bullpen and some of the issues out there, and then the manager. Uh, I just feel like that this team is better than they've played. I still feel like that, even though uh, I was frustrated by what I watched over the four games in Atlanta this week. Uh, And so my overall thesis about where this team kind of stands right now probably remains largely unchanged. That being said, it is such a damn difficult product to watch and to take in night in night out and I get paid to do it so I can't even really complain right like and and for those of you that don't know we're kind of trying to work out some kinks Anthony's going to start pitching in on the Phillies coverage at Crossing Broad as well so we get paid to do this that being said I mean my god to just take in this product three to three and a half hours every night is tough and I feel for fans and you guys know like I'm a I'm a Phillies fan right like I do it professionally you're, you're doing it professionally but we want this team to win, and so it's very hard when you get nights like really Monday night where they win. They win comfortably, no less, and it sets off a chain reaction of events that is just baffling. And I think that I always try to reset things here 
on each show because I know that we have loyal listeners that jump in and, and listen every single every single show. But if you haven't, you know, we're not guys that are, are you fire everybody. He's got to go. Like, the manager stinks. We're not those guys. But you watch Monday night unfold and going to Corey Knable with a four-run lead on Monday night and then not being able to go back to him on Tuesday night when you could have had one of your best wins of the season and it's not just that you couldn't go to Corey Knable, it's also that you knew that at that point you weren't going to Yuri's Familia. You didn't have him. You didn't have Sir Anthony Dominguez, who's probably their second best option to close games. If you know that, how the hell do you go to a guy holding a four-run lead when you know you can't bring him back in the event that you're going to win or you know that you might need him the next night? It's like Joe Girardi literally conceded a split when he had the upper hand in the situation. I have to tell you, man, like, I'm getting there. I'm really getting there with him. And I know it's organizational. I've, I've, I've talked about that on this show. It's not all just Joe Girardi's gut, right? Like, it's a collaborative process. There's a lot of people in that front office that go into how they're going to use guys, when they're going to use them. But come on, man. Well, I'll say this. And I don't disagree with you because I was just as frustrated that those guys were not available. And, and I look at it from a, a different side of it in that, Man up, man. It's a big game. You got to win it. Throw Kniebel that third straight game. You know, I understand Dominguez was had he had some arm issue. Okay, so he's he was a little fatigued, arm fatigue. Okay, that's a, I get that's that. a little bit I different, that right? Too. That's a little different. But 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 Kniebel was ready to go, and he would have gone a third day. Um, and I don't have a in that in that moment. You know, it's a big game. You're just trying. You're looks like you're going to steal the victory from from the jaws of defeat with Harper hitting the home run, and you say, okay. In this in this moment, we've got to we've got to do what's right for the team, and, and you know if it means resting Kniebel the next two nights or whatever, but we got to win this game. And you go get and you go give him the ball and say, give it a shot, kid. Uh, even if you only go three batters or twenty pitches, whatever you limit them, you got to give it a shot with those guys. And, and that's where I have a problem with it. Um, but I'll I'll say this, man. Just I, and I, far be it for me to ever agree with David Murphy as a columnist because I don't think he's that great a columnist if we're going to be honest okay but i mean seriously but he he wrote a column today and i read it and i'm like you know what he's right like this you can't blame the manager sometimes sometimes it's in today's game and i'm i'm starting to be convinced this i'm starting to come around to this that in today's game the way that the way that it's run it doesn't matter who the manager is anymore you can you only the only way that you're really going to impact the game as a manager, is if you are a terrible manager and really kind of blowing things, you know, screwing things up game in, game out. But for the most part, managers are going to be considered competent because they're just doing what the numbers tell them to do. All right, can I stop you there real quick? Can I just interject? Yeah, sure. I agree with that because there's such an emphasis on the numbers, and the Phillies aren't alone in this. Yeah. There's a, a, the vast majority of organizations around Major League Baseball are now numbers-oriented, and they let the numbers drive their decisions. There's no doubt about it. So well, that's what I go back to. I said this isn't like Joe Girardi just like trying to you know, navigate the, a situation using his gut. I mean, it's not like he's doing it on his own. It's a collaborative process. And so in that regard, yes, like if you remove Joe Girardi from the situation and just insert – Whoever it is, Sam Fold, Raul Ibanez, whoever, Jim Leland, anybody that you want to come up with, like, it's going to be under the premise that, hey, listen, you have to listen to our numbers. You have to follow our organizational philosophies. I understand that. But I do think that there needs to be an override button. And I do think that that override button needed to be hit on Tuesday well, night. I agree with you, and, Bob. I agree with and you. There's something, and there's something to be said for it. And I'm telling you. You can talk about the numbers all you want. You can talk about the matchups. There remains a human element to professional sports. And, like, I agree with what David Murphy wrote, by the way. I read the I read the column as well, and, and I agree with that. It's hard to be an awful manager in today's baseball. That being said, there are moments that define seasons. Mm -hmm. There are games that define seasons. And, yes, it's one game of 162 at the end of May. I get it. But I'm going to tell you this. There's no way in hell that that game does not unfold on Tuesday night and guys in that clubhouse sit there and talk amongst themselves or think to themselves, what the hell are we doing here? 
You know, this was an opportunity to drop the hammer, to secure a series split and potentially go out and win three or even sweep the damn Braves, and they don't do it. And that permeates, that resonates throughout a clubhouse. We talk about the Phillies not having killer instinct or, or playing with urgency. Those things are all totally blown out of proportion. I agree that it's a lazy cliche often that when we say a team has no urgency, it's just simply because they're not hitting. But man, you can't tell me that there's not some psychological impact that holds at least another game or two or a week or two or just sets in overall when you make decisions like the ones that were made this week in Atlanta. Yeah, I, well, I don't disagree with you. But the problem is, Bob, is I think that now you're, 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 you're taking kind of that little, little bit more of an old school mentality. You're taking more of a baseball coach's mentality. As someone who coaches baseball, you you, you have that. You're thinking that way, right? And, and like I like to think that way too. I, that's how I, if I was coaching baseball, that's how I would coach the game too. Absolutely, you have to have those come to Jesus moments where you d decide between the, the numbers and what you're seeing with your eyes and, and maybe sometimes go away from the numbers because what you're seeing with your eyes tells you something different that will make a difference in, in the game. And I agree with you 100%. I think the argument that's being made here is that they're all chicken shit. Nobody will, nobody's willing to do that anymore. And, and that's, that's where I have a problem with the sport. And that's why I tell you that I can't pin this on Girardi I don't, I don't agree with him. I don't agree with the things he said. I would do it a completely different way, but I can't pin it on him if, in fact, this is the organizational philosophy, and it's an organizational philosophy that's not just the Phillies, but throughout baseball, that this is how we're going to handle things. And it's, it's frustrating as a baseball fan to watch it unfold with the home team. It's amazing that you just said that, that you, know, you call him chicken shit. I talked to a player this week who said that Major League Baseball teams hide behind the numbers. Mm -hmm. They will simply present to you, listen, we've constructed a roster, We and, and there are varying degrees of the, the overall quality of a roster, but within the roster and the limitations that you have in it, or of it, they just simply say, these are the percentages, and we will play them, and whatever shall be, shall be. Yeah. There's, like, no accountability or ownership in the decision. Like, at a high school level, if you make, if, as, a, as a coach, and let's just say, I mean, there's a lot of times that high school games are decided the moment you step onto the field. One program is simply better than another on any given, on any given year, or, you know, in any given year. Right. There's just nothing you can do about it. It's like Kansas and college football showing up to Oklahoma. It, it's not going to happen, right? But there are going to be games where the, the talent on the field is, is equal. And there are decisions that we make as coaches that you feel like, I, I helped my team win this game today. Like, I did the right thing in the right moment, and I pressed the right button, whether it be tactically or psychologically, that gave my team a competitive advantage today. And there are plenty of times, probably even more so, and I can only speak to my own experience at the level which I coach, which is just varsity high school baseball, but there are plenty of times where I go home and I think about it and I go, my God, if I didn't call that hit and run and we didn't line into a double play there, or if I would have dropped that bunt when the third baseman was like looking a little bit asleep, if we would have just bunted for that hit, it would have kick-started a rally there. Or if I would have gone to player A instead of player B, in, a, in that pitching change, it torments me. It torments me mm -hmm. because I don't have all of these numbers to just hide behind. I only have what my eyes tell me. I mean, I, I do have some data. We, we do collect data. We do spray charts. We look at things. But I don't have these advanced metrics that these guys can rely on. And, and you're right. And that's exactly what we're seeing around the game right now. Yeah. And so in that regard, I mean, I look at the Phillies and I say they lost the game this week or because they were they were afraid to go against what they have in place, and that's the question I have for you: Is did they lose two games this week? Because well, of the, se you the second game there was a carryover into Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday, I think was more defensive issues. When you really break it down, I mean, when you you look at it. I mean, obviously, the, everybody wants to talk about the the big play where five guys screwed up. <laughs> once um and there was only one error i don't know how that happened there was only one error in the, that the play, only but... person i truly absolve from that situation is is stott i mean the ball's deflected by segura i have no idea how he's supposed to make that yeah, play. I mean, I, maybe, I, I, maybe he should have been there sooner but like, i absolve I mean, him i, I absolve him a little bit because of that but i still don't think he was in position 
I mean, if he's like still running into the spot and has to dive to try and catch the ball, I mean, you weren't there to begin with, right? So is this that's just not being in the right place yet. Um, but yes, he's the least least uh, accountable, I guess, in in that spot. Um, but yes, everyone wants to talk about that. But if you go back earlier, I mean, you know, the Braves build that lead on a ball that Alec Bohm's just got to play at third base. It's a ground ball. And he turns his body. Instead of staying in front of it, he completely turns his body and it gets tries to field it, misses it, and it goes down the line, and all those runs score. If he just stays in front of it, it's a double play ball. It's a double play ball. If he keeps his body in front, even if he boots it a little bit, he's at least getting one out out of the two. Right? I mean, so so you just gotta it's fundamental, you know? And Bryce Harper running the running the bases in the first inning of that game, you know, gets a nice hit. He had no reason to go for two there. None whatsoever. And he kills a rally in that inning, and they don't score. They, they probably now he does that all the time. And so I'm not going to sit here. One thing I think is unfair is when you you start to. No, no, but I'm just saying but, collectively, if you're looking at reasons why they lost the game on Wednesday night, oh, I, I agree. I, I think I there agree. are other factors that weren't just the bullpen. Now I tweeted out the other night, and I then thought about it. I said, Ah, I don't know. Am I making excuses for this guy? I have this this idea that Bryce Harper took two or tried to take two in a completely outrageous situation, which he should not have. It's not to, it's a stupid decision, regardless. But I'm trying to think about like the psychology of it. Now he does this all the time, right? And a lot of times he's successful, sometimes he's not. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there was anything to it though in that first inning where he goes, you know what? Fuck it. I'm taking two. I'm pissed about last night. I'm gonna just try to make something happen. You know, I mean, that could certainly be part of his mentality. Maybe not even that he's thinking that. It could be subconscious for sure. Like he was really, he was really mad. You could tell by the interview the night before. You know when when Salisbury. Great questions from Salisbury. In all honesty, yeah. you know he asks him, and, and and Bryce gives him the you know, hey, that's the game today. And then and then he goes, but you're playing with a torn UCL. And Bryce goes, well, that's the game today. <laughs> that was so you could tell that Bryce was was steamed. You know, and yeah. just off of that. And so yeah, you're right. I mean that could that could well be that. I have to do even that much more if we're going to win a game. And it turned out to be too much in that spot. But, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, so you know, we can talk about the bullpen issues there because, I, I don't know, Alvarado wasn't available against right-hander the night before, but now he is in, in the fifth inning. Of I'm game. all right with that. I know it's completely insane, right? Like, it's totally I don't like, Alvar- I don't like Alvarado anyway, but... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I don't kind of get in there with you. Like, I've always been like the look at the K per nine though. And yeah. The swing and miss stuff, and I think he is kind of good out there to have in like more low leverage situations. And in the event where the outcome I need is a strikeout, and if I don't get it, we're going to lose probably anyway. Right. And just bringing him into that situation, okay. Yeah. But at no other point do I need to see Jose Alvarado anymore. Yeah. I'm there. You know, people, I think, get on Odubel Herrera, who we're going to talk about a little bit more later in the show, about just the the vibe that he brings and sort of like this, like, loser energy. That's kind of where I'm at with Jose Alvarado now. Like, there is this, this like, loser energy that his presence, I think, brings. Whether or not that's fair, I don't know, but I'm starting to feel it. It's like, I'd just rather see someone else blow it rather than him. Yeah. No, I mean, so, I mean, so, so that's why I'm saying, Bob, yeah, I mean, this was... This was certainly a, a frustrating four-game series because they they could have done better. They absolutely and could have done better. It, I know that wins and losses at the end of the day is what's going to drive the overall enjoyment of the product, but I could not help but feel like this week watching it unfold. Yes, it was certainly aggravating late on Tuesday, the missed opportunities on Wednesday, but even last night, Aaron Nola goes out and throws – maybe his best start that I I've seen from him in a calendar year. And he was phenomenal. We could talk about Joe Girardi yanking him at one Oh nine in the ninth after Nick Castellanos misplays a fly ball. We could debate the merits of why Nick Castellanos is even in the game at that point. The problem is, is if you make the defensive sub out, it's going to probably be for Schwarber. So he's still going to be in the game anyway. Well, yeah, you, you can move Castellanos to left. And, right. and, you know, you put Quinn in center and exactly. Odubel in right. I mean, exactly that's what right. you would do. So we could talk about all that. I don't know that we even need to get into it. But the thought that I kind of kept having, even even early on last night, as is, is Noel's pitching so well, is this product. Like, I thought 
the Phillies would be a flawed team this year, but I thought they'd be a fun team. Like, I thought this would be fun to watch. Like, yes, there were going to be these mind-numbing losses and these late-game collapses. I'm not surprised by any of that. But what I am surprised about is loading the bases with nobody out and watching Alec Boehm get just blown away on three pitches and then a double play follows. And granted, Boehm and Harper have been, have been two of their best hitters and those aren't the guys that you should be specifically frustrated at. But it's just like replace those two last night with anybody else at any point this season. It's a tough watch, man. Like they are so frustrating to watch on a game in game out basis. You know, Alex Coffey, the new beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer will tweet out like, I don't know how you guys live like this. Or like, I feel sorry for you guys. Like she's new to it. Like she hasn't seen this, this Phillies team on a daily basis over the last few years. And like, it, it, it I think it's very relatable. It's like, my God, like this is so damn tough to watch every single night, even when they win. I, I agree. Um, and, and it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to identify. I guess it's, it's really funny because there's nothing that really trends, Bob, right? When you look at it, it's like, there's nothing really trending here to say, well, this is why they're frustrating. It's something different every night. And maybe the bullpen's starting to show, that it's a little bit more, you know, to the forefront, and some you've had now defensive blunders in two straight games that that kind of that kind of cost them a little bit. So maybe you say, okay, defense is now starting to rear its ugly head, um, and, and that's kind of where the problems are. But I mean, there's nights. I mean, how many times did we have really good pitching performances and they lose games because the lineup doesn't hit? Because or or the lineup gets hits. Um, but doesn't they're not they're not in the clutch or they're not getting on base enough or they're swinging through pitches out of the strike zone too much like it's just random stuff here there and everywhere and you just go and say well if they just fix that it'll be okay and then they seem to fix that and something else crops up and I well I think that that you can look at Aaron Nola's season to sort of support what you're saying yeah. I mean. I tweeted this out last night, but of guys that entered entered last night with at least eight starts, the only pitcher in baseball that had a worse team win-loss split was Patrick Corbin, who ironically also won yesterday. But, I mean, the Phillies were 1-8 in Aaron Nola's first nine starts this season, the lone win coming on opening day, and Aaron Nola's been pretty good this year. Now, I know that he had a frustrating start against the Dodgers last Saturday night, but it wasn't like he was a just he totally blew up and was terrible in that game. Right. I mean, he's given them some damn good starts this year, and the Phillies have not been able to win them because the offense has not been able to properly back him, and it almost happened again last yeah, night. Yeah, and, and, you know, my buddy Michael Barkan ripping him last night again, saying he's been inconsistent. But holy hell, his whip is under one. I mean... <laughs> He hasn't been consistent. I mean, he, he he has been consistent. He's been yeah. he's been really good. I mean, yeah, I mean you're not watching the games. If you if you haven't looked at Aaron Knowles' ten starts this season and said this guy's been pretty damn good this year, I don't know what you're watching. Well, this is 2018 Aaron Knowles to me. I mean, those the first start against Oakland was not great. Uh, I believe his second start, I want to say it was against the Mets. Yeah, he struggled. And then I believe his third start was against the Rockies, and they didn't win the game, and he didn't get that deep into it. It was like five plus. Well, it was a good five but plus. But from there, he's been he's been really, really. I mean, good. his numbers are comparative to eighteen. If you look at everything, um, with the with the lone exception of ERA plus, and I think that that's tied into the fact that he gave up some of those runs early in the year. I think over the course of like, say, if he continues pitching like this over the course of the next ten starts, that will that will uh, catch up a little bit. But otherwise, I mean. His, his whip is better right now than it was then. Uh, his strikeout-to-walk ratio is better now than it was then. Uh, he leads the National League in innings pitch and strikeouts right now. Yeah. I mean, like, you, you can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, I mean, you know? I, the guy's really having a good year. Really having a good year. And it's about time he gets credit for it. You know, being 2-4 and four doesn't matter. Win-loss record doesn't no. matter. You know, no, and I, I think I actually put more stock in win loss than than I know. Baseball's totally turned a blind eye to it. There's something to be said for pitching to the rhythm of the game and manning up in big moments. But I mean, so many of these losses for him and lack of wins in relation, it's just because the teammates have not performed. It really is not about him not holding the late lead, or I mean, it's it's, it's well, amazing. I'll tell you what, and you know, there, there's a lot of people, and we've even, you know, we've even had this discussion on this show before, Bob, where we wonder about his, you know, we've wondered about his gumption, we've wondered about how yeah. much he wants it, you know, in, in big moments, 
And last night, Girardi went to shake his hand after the eighth inning. And he looked at him and said, I want to go back out there. Yeah. And Joe stopped, turned around to Caleb Cotham, and you could see it on camera, and said, well, He wants to go he back, wants to in, go back in. And they stunned by yeah, it. And they're like, Okay. You know, but that's, but regardless, I mean, of, of the reaction, but to have Noel be that way, to say, I want back in, I want, I'm, I'm not done, I want to go back out there, rather than just be like, okay. Like, that's a, to me, that's, that's a step beyond what we've seen from Aaron Noel before. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed that as well. I, I kind of didn't, that wasn't my takeaway of that interaction so much as it was, like, why, why did he even have to ask? Like, why did he tell him he was out of the game? Great job. It should have been like, you want the ball? Like, I just, yeah. and I know it goes back to the numbers conversation. And I don't want to just keep cycling through the same damn thing again and again. But like, it just drives me crazy sitting there watching that, that that's the, that's the interaction. I'll tell you something else too. I've been very critical. Like, I don't want to come across as a total fraud and be like, I always believed in Aaron Nola. Like, see, I've been very critical of Aaron yeah. Nola. I have questioned whether or not he has it, the ability to drop the hammer in a big spot and, I think he's he's answered a lot of those questions, and maybe what we're seeing here is that the struggles down the stretch in 20, the, really the year-long struggles last season, maybe were more about mechanics and just an inability to kind of pinpoint, you know, and get command of his stuff more than it was about a mentality. He's, he's certainly quieting some of those concerns, at least for the time being. I'm not ready to tell you that he's 1A again, but he, he has certainly answered the bell this season, and if you're the Phillies here going into this series and you look at where you're at in the national league i do think you can get kind of excited about what the phillies have at the top of this rotation right now yeah i, I the whole rotation with the exception of suarez who's been struggling and i have a i think i might have a solution there is it to put bailey falter into the starting rotation and let ranger suarez go pitch out of the bullpen again it's not necessarily that, but yes, I do want to put some... Two birds with one stone? Uh, well, I think that I think if you do that, you're looking at Bailey Falter kind of as a temporary solution. But the bullpen needs fixing. Why not put a guy back into the bullpen who has had success there in the past to help the bullpen? And like, I, like I would be... I, I'm not telling you Bailey Falter is going to be the solution there. I mean, if you have to give, give Bailey Falter four or five starts and then find another pitcher, you know, on the trade market. Okay, fine. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. If that's I do the case. wonder though, I do wonder right now if the role change, first of all, I think it's tough to ask him to go back into the bullpen because they're basically coming in saying you earn this. We, you know, you have an opportunity to cement yourself as a really good starting pitcher in this league to ask him to then go back to his previous role, I think there's there's financial implications to that in the long run, number one. Number two, you know, does your confidence take a hit if they, they pull the plug that quickly on the experiment? The, the other part is I wonder if the role change even really matters from a production standpoint. The biggest thing that you see with him right now is that he just simply cannot locate the way that he did a season ago. I mean, he really struggled the other night to consistently get in the strike zone. And the one of the things that you said about Ranger Suarez coming into this year is that, man, he's a bulldog. He fears nobody. He'll pound. He attacks. He's relentless. And that's not the pitcher he is right now. And I just don't know if you don't have that command, whether you're coming in to pitch two innings in the sixth and seventh or you're getting the ball at the start of the game, if it really matters. So that's what I'm kind of curious about right now with him. Yeah, I just wonder if it's, I just wonder if it's something that in a smaller – you know, a smaller responsibility. Maybe that it's something that he Maybe. can harness a little bit easier. Or if there, if even if he's still struggling with it, you know, pitchers struggle with things all the time, and yet still end up with decent results. Sometimes, uh, give you Kyle Gibson start the other night, right, where he didn't yeah. have his best stuff, and still ended up with eight strikeouts and only allowed two runs. And you know, but sometimes you can get through it even without your best stuff in a shorter, in a two inning stint, as opposed to a five to six inning stint, maybe you don't yield as much damage and it looks better. Did you feel like in the moment when they took him out of the game after the fourth, the other night, he looked like he sort of stabilized a little bit. Did, did you look at that game and say, that was all he had, let him go out on a positive. Or did you think to yourself, really? 
You know, he finally throws the ball fairly well, and now he's out of the yeah, game. Yeah, I know. Like, how did you look at that in real time? Yeah, I was, I was more, I was more along those those lines with you. I mean, I, I was a little, I was a little surprised that you know he had, he had kind of figured it out a little bit, but I think it was just kind of you know I think their their thought process was it's not we haven't seen it consistently enough yet, and so I don't kill them for it. I mean, I, I'd probably let him go another inning and see what happens, and if he starts to get in trouble, then pull him out. Um, it's probably something I wouldn't bring up or even notice in any other cycle through the rotation. Right. I think just the way I feel about some of the decision-making that's that's been occurring the last week or so, it just makes for another easy thing to pick at, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so I want to flip this thing around uh, quickly to the offense. And one of the conversations that we had the other day was about JT Realmuto and, and how much of a disaster he's been. And then he promptly goes out and is 5 for 12 against the Braves over a four-game stretch here. He triples, he homers. And he, just a quick look at the numbers, coming into this series, he was hitting 224. He's up to 240. His OPS was 613. It's up to 680. Do you think that JT Realmuto just had four good games in Atlanta this week? Or is this something that he can build on and you say, okay, maybe he's recovering here a little bit? I hope he's recovering. Right, I mean that's that's what you want to see. Um, he he's one of those guys when he's at the plate, it's he's a timing guy, right? I mean he's got that he's got that first step where he's got that leg kick and everything is everything's based around the timing. And when his timing is off and he doesn't get his foot down before the swing comes through, he's a pop up machine or a weak fly ball machine or swings through pitches. You know he's just not his timing's not right. And it was like that for a while. And it was almost to the point where I was like, man, you're a professional hitter. Just drop the leg kick for a little bit. You know, see if you can kind of just figure it out with just like a little step and, and get your timing back, and then you can go back to it. Uh, but he kept with it, he kept with it, he kept with it, and I felt like his I felt like he was on the ball a lot more. Obviously, five hits helps, but even on some of the outs, I felt like he was making decent contact and he wasn't chasing pitches. And and so like it was good to see. Um, I certainly don't think he's he's toast like some people in this town do. Um, but at the same time, I'm not ready to sit here and go, oh, he's back. Yeah, don't worry about it. JT's back. Like, I, I think that there's still something that has to be kind of identified there in the long haul. And here's something where I'll be critical of the manager. He needs more time off, man. He just does. I agree. He just, I, I he just, that's not fully a, agree. I, it's not saying I, I want to see I want to see Stubbs show me Stubbs. It's not that at all. It's that you're going to burn him the hell out. He's play he's catching every game, and it's a very interesting dynamic. I know we're talking about position players versus pitchers, but the idea here that oh we we need to protect our pitchers and I, this is a concern across the game. By the way, yeah. I mean there are a lot of organizations that are very uneasy about arm injuries with the way that spring training played out this year, with the fact that the schedule, you go from 60 games in 2020 to a full season in 21. You know, what are the ramifications coming into this year about pitchers throwing more than they did the previous year? Arm injuries are of great concern around the game, especially when you look at the dollars that some of these guys are getting. They're investments, you have to protect them. And I know that you treat position players differently than you treat pitchers. But the Phillies are are very conservative with their pitching staff. And I know that they're playing a very important stretch of games here. But you do have to protect this guy a little bit. Yeah. And you're going into a series now this week, four, three night games. This is a, I would almost say it's a make or break series in terms of the division. The difference between winning two and three and losing two and three is, is what being seven out and nine out. Like that's that's substantial. Is he sitting this weekend? So at what point do you give this guy a blow? I, I, I truly, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't have a problem starting a backup catcher against a good team in an important game. Um, if it's if it's the right matchup, I really don't. Um, so like I, I don't have a problem with it. Like you know, I, I, I got to look at the, the Mets rotation here this weekend. I, I would I would give Stubbs has not done anything to embarrass you. I mean he's been fine to give him a start. One point one four four OPS. Give him, I mean give him a start. It's not going to kill you. And look, if you need Real Muto to come up in a key spot, he he's there. He can come off the bench and, and give you that at bat. You know. 
Um, yeah, you're getting, uh, by the way, you're getting Carrasco Friday night. You're getting uh, Walker Saturday. And then the uh, Sunday night game, they're TBD right now. Uh, I mean, they, they've got to So you got two righties out. to start, right? Yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe Real Muto gets one tonight. Uh, I actually think I'd rather, off of four straight starts, I think I'd rather him see you know rather see him get one tonight, and then come back Saturday Sunday. With Monday, and, um, and then be ready to come home and play on Monday. So I have a, a couple more guys I want to just talk about in isolation. You know, it's funny we never really talk about Bryce Harper on this on this show, and I, it's like he's been so good that I. Don't really even know what to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I think that, that the tenor of our show is usually to kind of raise uh, red flags and talk about things that are sort of going wrong. And I mean, Bryce Harper, man, I, I just feel like it, it deserves an acknowledgement that he has been phenomenal. Yeah. Just simply phenomenal. He's the best player in the National League right now. I mean, just you know, if you look at last season, obviously he was the MVP. And then you see what he's doing this season, doing it as a full-time DH, something he's never done before, and something that's not easy to do if you've never done it before because you're just sitting around, and then you just got to go up there and hit. Um, and then people think, oh, that's easy. You don't have to play the field. Yeah, but it's it's staying in the game. It's staying in the moment. It's focusing on a, you know who's the pitcher and knowing what you can do against them and you know studying the pitcher a little bit. It, it, to, to do that and to be doing it with a torn ulnar collateral ligament in his elbow <laughs> – like that's that's it's 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 generational, right? I mean, this is this is the, the this is you always people always talk about generational talent, right? And we don't always get generational talent in Philadelphia because we don't. In in most sports, we don't get it. We're seeing it here. This is a generational talent, and it's somebody who needs to be appreciated even more than he is. And, and because because I mean, obviously he's a guy who gets it and he plays to the fans and he does the whole fanatic thing and you know he does all that right too. But on the field, he is the best player in the National League, bar none for me, and and that I, needs to be recognized. It's my hope, not that like the Phillies owe it to Bryce Harper. The Phillies are paying Bryce Harper plenty of money, and he will be okay, and he is getting plenty of recognition around the league. But I would love to see, I talked earlier about seasons being defined by moments and being defined by games. The problem for Bryce Harper in Philadelphia is that the numbers are just insane. But the team has not given him the ability to own certain moments, to have these these games and these, these at-bats that when you think about Bryce Harper in a Phillies uniform, you automatically go to this at-bat. The one that he's most tied to is the walk-off grand slam against the Cubs, and that was back in, what, 2019. And that game was utterly meaningless in the grand scheme of things. I hope that the Phillies can rally around this guy and and give him an opportunity in August in September to play meaningful regular season games that puts this team in the postseason and then let him create those postseason moments that really takes him to a different level and that's unfortunately right now they're sort of hollow numbers and listen I am not a hockey guy I I can't even speak to it remotely with any intelligence whatsoever but I would tell you that I feel like he's entering like this Claude Giroux territory where you look at the numbers and say, yeah, but so what? And I know that you and Russ fight about him all the time, but you know, the one criticism of him is that I oh, never won anything and he's a great player. And he, I don't think he probably got his fair share in the city or this fair due in the city because of it. And I almost look at it like Joel and uh, like, well, all these numbers and he's right there on the brink of MVP voting and you know, whether or not you think he should have won it, who knows, but you feel a little bit hollow at the end of it because you know it hasn't come with any winning. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, I was... I, you like that I said Claude? You said Claude. Claude. That's, how, that's how it's pronounced. It's the correct... You like correct, that. Correct pronunciation. The hockey guy. Proudian. Bobby Pucks. Proudian. Um Yeah, no, I, th- I think... It, you know, I think that that's a fair comparison. My, my initial thought was to compare him not to Giroux, but to Lindros, who also did not win here. But the difference, I think, there... Because like, I think that he's more of that... Level. I mean, I think I think he's better in baseball than Giroux is in hockey. Okay. I, I agree. okay. So I, so I think he's more of a Lindros type. But I think where your point comes in and is is accurate is that Lindros at least was with teams that had a chance to win a championship. When Lindros was here, they made runs three times 
you know, to at least a conference final, um, and then one time through the Stanley Cup final, and had a chance to win the whole thing. They didn't win ultimately, and that was the failure of it. But but they had a team good enough to win. Um, Giroux never had that, other than maybe 2010 when they went to the final in his second year in the league. But but once he became the you know the best player on the team, they never had a shot to win. And I think that that's a fair comparison in that regard. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's just got to keep doing what he's doing. What he's doing. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I know we're 45 games into the season here and we don't need to talk about Bryce Harper's legacy, I guess. And there's plenty of story to write still, but that's just my fear. Like I just want to see for him as a, as I guess an unbiased journalist, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, I, I just would like to see him have the opportunity to really own big time moments. And I, that will catapult him into another, into another level. I mean, the reason you talk about Chase Utley the way you do, and even guys, lesser players, far lesser players like Shane Victorino and Jason Wirth is because they had these moments and teams that won and they contributed when the stakes were, were really high. And he just hasn't had the opportunity to do that because the team that he's played with has flat out sucked to no fault of his own. Right, right. And it's and the thing of it is, Bob, and I tell you why you're you're right to have a little bit of concern, a little bit of worry, a little bit of fear, is that this is his prime. We're in his prime. Yeah. And, you know, far be it from the Phillies, if you watch, they'll they'll probably get good when when Harper's a part time player. <laughs> right. You know, just or or guy who's you know when he's confined to DHing every yeah, every game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, so it's it's just a thought I had last night as I was watching him. I just I said to myself, I hope this guy really does get a crack at the big moments. Um, because I think I'll own him. I do. I know in his career in Washington, he didn't really have too many opportunities when he was there, and I just think he will own those moments. I, I think that he just is that player. So, listen, I have, I have two more guys I want to touch on individually before we wrap this thing yeah. up. And one is an obvious target right now for criticism. And the other one, I think, sort of not a target of criticism, but a guy I, I wonder about how he's being utilized. And I'll, I'll give you an argument as to why I'm concerned about it. So, Alec Bohm, uh, I'll start with that one. Alec Bohm's had a really good year this season. And, and, you know, I think everyone has to feel really good about where he's at, especially if everyone else in this lineup was playing the way or hitting the way they were supposed to be. You would look at him and say, wow, 287 with a 725 OPS. I'll take that from Alec Boehm. My goodness. You know, that's that's much more like the player that we saw in 2020 than the player that we saw a year ago. My concern, however, with Alec Boehm is that he has not been great in May. He hasn't been bad, and certainly in relation to some of the other guys in this lineup, he's just nowhere near the top of the list in concerns. But I will tell you, 668 OPS in May, and the Phillies have to hit him second right now because of so many other guys slumping, and that is not ideal. And again, this is not really a criticism of Alec Bohm, but it's a concern about how he's being utilized in this lineup, a very imperfect and inconsistent and struggling lineup right now. That is not ideal, Anthony, and it's one of these things that's getting overlooked because there's all these other problems that are occurring. Yeah, um, I agree with you. He's not a number two hitter. That's my that's that's my one problem with where they you know they're using him. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's not again. It's not a criticism of Bohm more so than it is a criticism of the team. In that the fact that you have to rely on Alec Bohm and the production that he's giving you to be your number two hitter, who in a lot of places is the best hitter in the lineup. Um, Phillies tend to Harper wants to hit three, so that's where they put him. But, but in a lot of places, the two hitter is the is the best hitter in the lineup. Um, the, the fact that that's where you're, the fact that we're going Reese Hoskins, Alec Bohm, one two, is all is is all you need to know. I mean, that's that's a damning thing for the organization is that those guys should not be your one two hitters, and yet they have to be because everyone else has been kind of a disappointment you've had to put some well, I, I just wonder what the true level internally the true level of concern is about i think the phillies have a comfort level with reese hoskins like they know what he is they know that he's going to get really hot and the ops will jump 40 points over four games and the power numbers will somehow end up there but i do wonder if they they look at kyle schwarber this morning and say wow 194 with the 734 ops that's not great. And I understand that Kyle Schwarber is a very streaky hitter. But the guy that I guess I'm taking a long-winded approach at coming to 
is Nick Castellanos. And the idea was supposed to be, and if you look at his splits from last season, and, and granted, last year was a great year for him, but he's been a pretty good hitter for a long time. Not that he's slump-proof, but that he's not supposed to be this guy that gets fooled over a prolonged period of time. He's supposed to be a little bit immune to that. He's supposed to be a guy that gives you really good, hard contact consistently. Professional graded bats. And I can live with the fact that Nick Castellanos was 2 for 18 in this series in Atlanta. And I can even live with the fact that he's hitting 250 right now. And the OPS is a shade over 700. It's, it's not good. And he's got to be a lot better. But the thing that I've really kind of struggled with watching him is that he looks lost and now he doubled late in last night's game to dead center he was on it it was a good swing a very rare good swing for him lately maybe he gets going but i am stunned to the extent that he just looks overmatched and totally unsure of himself i think right he's now. trying way too much to be an opposite field hitter right now is that fair did you thing? see him the other night he had runners in scoring position and he was just trying to i forget i think it was tuesday night i want to say he was trying to go the other way and he grounded yeah. out hard right at i want to say first base it was shifted out olsen was shifted yeah. out doesn't knock in a run and you're like dude yeah let it rip yeah and that's the thing i mean he's he's late on those fastballs down and in in the zone that i think in years past he would just crush to left field and he's because I, I don't know if it's something where he's trying to prevent a shift, if he's trying to take advantage of what the, the defense is giving him all the time. I don't know what the, the approach is, but it's off. And we talked, we, we you know, we, I think we brought it up a little bit before everybody else did. I want to go back. I think it was two episodes ago where we went, eh, Castellanos starting to start to look like he's not there right now. And now here we are, you know, ten games later, and it's like. It's noticeable, and everybody's talking about it. It's like, okay, I mean, you got you got to see it coming, and and address it when it's when that happens, and not wait for it to become epidemic. And and right now, it's a little bit of an epidemic. Yeah, his his hard hit percentage has gone down from forty point four percent last year to thirty one point two percent this year. I mean, that's a substantial drop. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just wonder, like, you know, obviously he's not hitting the ball with as much authority, but it also looks to me like, you know, he's he's kind of guessing a little bit. Now, the numbers don't really bear that out, though. Like, I will say, if you look at his outside-the-zone swing percentage, so balls that he offers at that aren't strikes, it's pretty much his numbers are they're actually identical to what they were a year ago, 40.4%. So... It, you know, the, the outside zone swing percentage is, is basically the same. Uh, he's making less contact outside the strike zone. But the actual approach and plate discipline, it, it sort of stacks up similarly. But so is, is it what is it? You know, it's just he has not made the same type of contact that he made a year ago. And, and I don't know if that's approach pull side opposite, you know, wanting to go opposite field too much. But uh, it's just a little bit of a concern right now. Like. They need, they might not need both Schwarber and Castellanos to get hot at the same time, but they need one of these guys to start being the player they thought that they were going to, you know, they were getting when they signed them. I mean, they, they just can't, they cannot continue with with Bryce Harper and then Alec Boehm hitting singles to right and that being your offense. Yeah, and not only that, um, only five home runs. Yeah. I'm, you know, through two months of the season. That's, yeah, I mean, I think you're on pace for about 17 home runs at that rate, yeah. 17, 18. Which would be half runs. of what he had last year. And yeah. he's had, you know, he hasn't been that low since 16. I mean, he was yeah. in the 20s, 17, 18, 19. I mean, you skipped 2020 because it was a shortened season. But even then, he had 14 home runs in 60 games, right? So that would have been that would have been a 30-plus home run season. Um, then 34 and 21, he's only got five. So, yeah, it's... It's it's a little bit disappointing. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think he's a he's he is a career professional hitter. He's never really this bad. You take that twenty twenty season aside. Again, it was only sixty games. And if you look at his his career, I mean, he's a career over eight hundred OPS, career two seventy seven hitter. Uh, you know, he hits going to hit twenty five to thirty home runs. All those things are good. And just for some reason, right now. He's not trending that way. 
I'm still reasonably confident that that both he and Schwarber get to where reasonably you'd expect them to be. But really, I think are, you 45, are you with Schwarber? I do. I I think that Schwarber is still going to hit 35 to 40 homers for this team. I actually thought he had one last night. Yeah. Um, and it didn't go out, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I, I guess I, I still think that the power numbers are going to be there now. Like when I say that, I, I don't think that he's going to uh, get to the 920 OPS or the 928 OPS of last year. But do I think that like if you go to 2017, like let me just give you these numbers real quick. Yeah. 129 games, 782 OPS, 18 and 823. 19870 like do i think that Kyle Schwarber gets to like 790 i do i do um because i don't expect him to hit 194 i expect him to hit 225 and and i i've seen some at bats from him lately where he's been able to work counts and it looks like he's the, the discipline is coming back a little bit so no i mean i don't think i'm you're going to get an all-star year from the guy but yeah, like if you said over under two thirty average, I'd I'd probably take over by a hair, and if you said over under seven eighty OPS, I'd I'd probably take the over. I just think there's a little bit more there. Uh, I hope. I think he goes on a run. Like I I think that he's a streaky hitter, a flawed hitter, and a frustrating hitter. But I do think he just goes on one of these like two week stretches where he goes bananas and it kind of carries him. I, I hope you're right, Bob, because I I think that he he is what I always thought he was, and that's Dave Kingman. You don't remember Dave Kingman. A little bit before my time, but I do know, uh, I know the idea of Dave well, Kingman. Well, I mean, it's a guy that hits home runs, walks, or does nothing. I mean, he's leading the league in strikeouts right now with 58. I think it's, I think he's, he's either first or second. I, yeah, I think that him and Swanson have been yeah, like, back, yeah, back and forth. But 58 strikeouts in 155 at bats. Yeah. That's not good. No, it is not. <laughs> I'm a big, like, I'm a big put the ball in put play, in play guy. Too. You know, if he puts that ball in play, he's that average will come up to what you want it to be. Not that two twenty five is anything to be excited about, but you know, I'd, I'd like him to be more of a two forty. That's kind of where I would hope with, with the money that they signed him for. Can you be a two forty hitter? You know, I don't need you to be two sixty six, three seventy four like you were last year, but can you be two forty, three fifty? You know, like if you're doing that and hitting thirty home runs. I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that because your OPS probably your OPS probably hits 800 at that point. But without that, I and even still, you know, he got the 10 home runs. What else does he have? He's got six doubles. I, I have to say, and what 18? <laughs> it was 14 singles. Like it's got nothing. <laughs> I, I listen. I get it. I I understand. I I do. I have to. I have to say this. I. Hate being this show that that continues to to bring this guy up, and he's not been very good in May. He's only hitting two thirty three with a you know two ninety three on base percentage, or I'm sorry, a two fifty eight on base percentage, and he's slugging three fifty this month. But you look at the box score after last night's game, and the next best regular in terms of of OPS is not not Gene Segura. It's not out boom. It's not these guys that are getting paid $20 million a year. It's Odubel Herrera, who prior to his final at bat was one of only two Phillies with an OPS of over 800 uh, late in the game last night. Now he made an out and he went down to 793. He's two for four last night with two more runs batted in. He made an absolutely horrible play on Wednesday night. Maybe one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in the, the history of the sport which is really saying something, especially as a, an observer of the Phillies on a nightly basis. And I understand the idea that like he is not a winner and that he lacks focus and that he's just not a winning player. But he, I, I think the thing I want to say right now is like, what would this offense be without a double Herrera? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was also and like, we don't even need to get into all the other stuff. Like I get why people like don't want the guy here anymore. Right. Like we've had that conversation on this show. I think we did about like 25 minutes of yeah. the, the one show and go back and listen to it. And that's my stance on all that stuff. But from a purely baseball standpoint, like 
he's kind of keep helping keep this thing afloat right now. I mean, even in the game from a season long perspective, even in the game Wednesday, he hits the home. What was it the? He hit a home run yeah. and then they had the big two run hit and kind of tied, got the game back tied again. I mean, you're like you're sitting there going, freaking Oduble, man, like comes through. I know. It's just like he, he is another, he's another streaky guy, but he's less streaky than these other guys. In other words, like he goes in and out of his slumps quicker. He, you know, he, he's hot, but maybe not for a real long time. Then he slumps and it's okay. There's Oduble being Oduble. And then he gets back on it again. Like I think that his his ebbs and flows are much closer together than the Schwarbers and Castellanos's have been. Um, and and yeah, I mean he's been he's been crucial to them against right-handed pitching. I, I think if you look at uh, I was arguing with with uh, Junior about this because Junior hates him. Um, Junior hates <laughs> Junior hates every Philly. Everyone hates him. I mean, and it, it's like understandable. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he does stupid stuff. Yeah. He's got the off-field baggage. Yeah. Like I get it. Well, my son hates every Philly. I mean, he really does. He just he's like he's miserable. But uh, but we were looking at the numbers and we were looking at adverse righties and it's like, yeah, you know what? Against right-handed hitters, against right-handed pitchers, he's good. He's good. He's an eight. He's I think if we uh, um I would have to look at it after the last couple games because we looked at it earlier in the week. I bet you he's over 800 OPS against righties this year and so like when you look at that and say well well of course you want that you want that in your lineup i mean it doesn't help because his defense in center field isn't great right i mean it's you'd rather have roman quinn in center field even though quinn made that boneheaded play um on tuesday night that that you know cost the game in the bottom of the ninth inning um but against right-handed pitching like i i would argue that he's probably like you said top three on the team uh, splits against righties. I'm, I'm pulling it up here. I'm just trying to, you know, vamp until the computer loads it for me. Um, where are we at here? Da, 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 da. Where's verse? Platoon splits. Here we go. 787. This is OPS against righties this year. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, he's actually better against lefties, believe it or not. But it's a very well. It's a very it's a very small sample. But smaller I mean, sample size. Yeah, yeah. I, and that's sample. that would be my thing. I wouldn't bank on that as the sample size grows for those numbers to stay, uh, you know, linear. But I I do think again this goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning of the season. If you utilize him properly and you don't overexpose him and you let him hit at the bottom of your order, all of a sudden you've got a, a decent complementary bat at least. For less than two million dollars, which on a team full of guys making eight-figure salaries, you, you do need. And Dave Dombrowski actually talked about that earlier this week, like that. You know, basically, yeah, there's not there's some some frustrations there with him, but overall, you know, he's done an okay job. And I, I not that I'm like willing to tip my cap to him or anything, but given the way that some of these guys have performed this year, I mean, like he's he's been a valuable piece for them. Are you are you are you a um... Believer in OPS plus? Uh, yeah, I am. Just in, in relation to where you know a guy stacks up against the rest of the position. I, I, so do I. I, I, I do too. Yeah. Right now he's he's one twenty four. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty, pretty good. good man. It's pretty, it's, that's for the whole season. He's one twenty four. So for I didn't prepare this, but I, I bet you you could do the 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 blind you know player A player B thing and make Oduble Herrera player A and put him up against some pretty pretty good names that are player Bs and he'd have better numbers. Yeah. So. I mean I mean that that 124 just for people who don't under, don't know what OPS plus is that means that he's 24% better than the average center fielder in Major League Baseball right now. It's amazing. I, that's amazing I think about that <laughs> and it's, kind of, it's, it's a shame you know I'd, I'd be a lot more excited about the the forthcoming return of mickey moniac who was one of the last people or one of the last points i wanted to touch on before we you know put a bow on things if mickey moniac were right-handed <laughs> i'd be really excited about him returning because i'd say wow you might have a really good center field platoon split here going on but yeah. i don't know how they're going to leverage moniac and Herrera together. So, like, Harper has to stay in the lineup as DH. So it's not like, okay, Moniac coming up can work as a defensive replacement even as for, for a guy like Castellanos or Schwarber. I mean, he can. He can, like, late in games. But I just don't know where the fit is there. Yeah. I also am a little bit concerned that people are expecting so much out of Mickey Moniac, who the expectations, quite frankly, just should not be that high. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, he's still got to prove it to me. But if let's just say he comes in here, right, and he's given a chance and he hits like he was hitting in spring training, right, and he's feeling good about it and everything else, and he's playing really well. Obviously, you got to keep him in the lineup. So what you can do is I think you can kind of make Oduble like that rotating fourth outfielder and give those guys a freaking day off. I mean, Schwarber and Castellanos, they don't get days off either. I mean, that, that's the other thing. I mean, you don't – with the exception of Camargo, like, coming in and playing every once in a while, um, you know, shortstop or second base, Segura's got a couple games off. Like, these – nobody gets days off on this team. Like, the whole lineup plays. So, you know, I think it gives you – if Moniak can come in and be a good left-handed hitter, um, you could then make Oduble play for, hey, Nick, you get a game off today. Uh, or, or Schwarber, you get even though you're left-handed too, you get a day off today, kind of thing. Um, and I think that that kind of that could help uh, a little yeah. bit. I mean, but, that, but you're right; it, it is it's not an ideal, quote-unquote, platoon situation. It's one where you got to kind of got to kind of manage it and massage it a little bit to make it work. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's not like Matt Veerling went down to Lehigh Valley and has been you know tearing the cover off the ball either. I mean, he's got 50 at bats down there. He's one homer, hitting 240. He's been okay, but it's not like, oh, wow, he really figured it out down there. We'll see him again shortly as well. Right. Um, it's just an imperfect fit, and obviously a lot of it starts with the injury to, with the injury to Bryce Harper and, and the fact that he, he can't be out there. Uh, that, that does hurt. Um, all right, so listen, I don't know that we need to like preview the Mets series. I think we both agree the Phillies need to win two out of three games, yeah. and I don't know that picking game-by-game results is really an exercise that we need to have. So I'm comfortable if you are just sort of letting this weekend play out before we start really getting the Mets Phillies. Um, so do you have a, a one last thing? I do. I do have a, I do have a one. To get to before we... I do have a one last thing, Bob. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question that was uh, actually asked on ESPN, um, and see what see if you agree. Um, you know, the Yankees they had their big comeback, another big comeback win. I think they have 13 uh, this season now um which leads major league baseball uh and, and the question that that espn posed is um if you're a comeback if if you're if you have a lot of comeback victories what does that say about you as a team does that say that you know you have you know you have that that gumption that ability to you know hey we're never out of it we're gonna fight till the end the last 27th out or does it say that you have a problem getting behind <laughs> earlier in the game and so I, I guess that question i mean right now uh at the moment the 2022 yankees have the ninth best uh comeback come from behind win percentage per 162 games uh in the history of major league baseball it's ninth best uh at the moment um uh, phillies are obviously i don't know where the phillies are uh, although there is a phillies team that was higher on that list the 1977 phillies had the fourth best come from behind win average per 162 games but what does that say about you as a, as a team do you, would you rather have a team that's always coming back and um and, you know and, and you say oh they're never out of it or do you like to have a team that just we're ahead let's get let's get we're a good team we get ahead early uh that's a great question man i gotta tell you you kind of caught me off guard with this a little bit i really have to think about it when when you first pose the question you say wow it shows a lot about resilience and character and never give up and I do believe I actually talked about this earlier in the show that winning games late can really be a spark for a team but yeah I mean in order to have to come back you also have to trail and you know that means you've obviously been trailing and there's a reason you're trailing whether it's your starting pitching or uh, your bullpen in the middle innings is letting you down or, or whatever the case may be or your offense isn't performing up to standard I would still say and I don't know what the conclusion was or where you stand on this I would still think that teams trail a lot in baseball, and if you're able to overcome deficits late, that says a lot about character and, and probably says a lot that you're a good team. I, would, I have to guess that there's a direct correlation between teams at the elite levels of comeback wins and being a good team overall. Yeah, I, I, it ends up being that. Um, that's what they kind of concluded most of, most of, most of it. Um, of the 47 World Series champions, uh, uh, seven of them led their league in comeback. Wow. Uh, comeback 
uh, win percentage. Led the league. Seven of them. Seven of 47. Wow. That's a pretty good number. Um, it is, so it's, yeah. it tells you that. But and the other thing that I wanted to show, point out is the teams that are right behind the Yankees this, this year and come from behind wins, Dodgers, Padres, Brewers. So, yes. So, so what it says is, you know, teams trail and a lot of them fold and the really good ones come back. Yeah. I mean. So, so yes. So, if your team is a, is a good come-from-behind team, that's a positive. So, we'll have to see if the, the Phillies – I mean, they had a couple. They've had a couple this year, but they've also had a couple that they now, won't. How do they qualify uh, or how do they quantify, I guess, the, the – I don't know, qualify is the right way of saying this. Uh, the come from behind. Is it ninth inning comebacks? Uh, or is it like seventh inning or later? Or like I'm trying to find we were down two nothing in the fourth. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm, I'm just curious, but yeah. regardless, uh, I will tell you that I believe going into Sunday's finale against the Dodgers, uh, so the Phillies give out game notes like every team does in every sport. And I believe that the Phillies were 0-18 entering the ninth inning, trailing. Uh, heading into last Sunday, and they obviously came back and won the game. And ironically, two nights later, they had an opportunity to get their second come-from-behind win in the ninth, and they, they didn't get yeah. it. So. Yeah, so. But yeah, stuck on one. So yeah, well, Philly's going to need a few more, I think, especially with this yeah. bullpen. Well, that wraps yeah. it up, Bob. That's a, that's a, that's a good episode, and uh, hopefully this weekend is a good series with the Mets, and we have some positivity to talk about. Uh, I don't know if we'll do it Monday because it's a holiday, but uh, we might be back on Tuesday. I don't know. It's up to you. Uh, yeah, we'll figure, we'll figure it out. out. But either Monday or Tuesday will be the next episode. Uh, but I think it'll be uh, it'll be a good weekend series for sure. All right, sounds good. Well, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Thank you for listening to Cross Up. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, And we will talk to you soon. Everybody have a good Memorial Day weekend.